I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. So this week, we're really excited to share a conversation with you about a topic that's been up for both of us which is the difference between really trying hard and forcing and a wholehearted effort. But first, we have an invitation for you. So we have a very special community that we would like to invite you, our listeners, to. We have a group on Facebook. It's called the Radiant Warrior Community, and we would love for you to join us there. We will post topics. We would love your questions. We just want to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook, the Radiant Warrior Community, and ask to join us. About once a week or so, Amy and I also post inspirations and ideas for practices. So it's been a a fun endeavor, and we can't wait to meet you there. All right. So our topic today comes from this conversation that I recently had with another girlfriend, and she and I try to make a point of talking each month on the full moon and the new moon. And the last time we were having our conversation on the full moon, we asked each other questions that are about our intentions, what we're letting go of, and what is coming into the light. And I thought about it a little bit, and I said, I think what I want to let go of, or continue to let go of, because this has been a long time in letting go, is releasing that forcing and trying that can come up in some of the situations in my life and open up more to this idea of wholehearted effort. And she actually said to me, ooh, that would be a good podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She's so right. I I think you are right. So Amy, when I think about trying versus wholehearted effort, what that brings to mind through the lens of yoga is the concept in yoga about cultivating steadiness and ease. For those of us who've ever been to a yoga class, there is a real difference when we're trying and forcing to hold a pose or to try something new and we're constricting our breath and we're just trying to muscle our way through it, then the qualities that yoga asks us to find, which is feeling strong, and feeling challenged for sure, but feeling our ground and finding our breath. So there's a softening in the midst of all of that effort. It's also been called, Mr. Iyengar called it relaxation in action. It doesn't mean you're passive. It doesn't mean that you're fully and completely relaxed and limp. It's this perfect blending of the two. We'll share some examples of what we mean. I I just have so many examples of trying so hard. I think I've shared on this podcast before when I was in a job that wasn't for me and I was trying so hard to make it work and forcing 
everything and everything was hard and everything hurt. I've had relationships like that and I've had friendships like that. So yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had many periods of time where I've been trying to do things and using all my effort as opposed to letting things be as they were supposed to be. Yeah. Trying feels like we're holding our breath. A wholehearted effort would feel like we're taking a long, deep breath. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying feels like we have this narrow focus and a narrow mind almost, because I think it's based, as you were saying, in fear and scarcity and lack Mm -hmm. and wholehearted effort may be a challenge, um, but it feels open and it feels more spacious, like you're open to more possibilities. And actually, I haven't quite shared this fully with you yet, but I have an example that happened today that you are a part of. Um, I was going through a situation where I it wasn't going the way that I wanted it to be. And I had this inner sense of wanting to force it to be something different. I mean, I was arguing with reality, basically. <laughs> And it was a very full day and I didn't have the time to, to sit down and, and, and contemplate and journal. And I just said, I need, to, I need to find a new perspective. And so I reached out to you. You had 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. I called you. I shared the experience with you. And you were just able to be objective enough to give me that sentence that I hadn't thought of yet because when we're falling into trying, it's because we are only receiving each situation and relationship in our life through our own specific lens. And sometimes we're closed to new perspectives. We're in that trying mode. But when somebody offers a different thought, a different way of thinking about it, and if we're open to it, well, my brain just... I inputted that new thought that you offered me and then it gave me five more and suddenly I, I felt softer and I felt more accepting of the entire situation. And it was a real, it was a win for me today. I felt so much stronger at the other side of that rather than going down the rabbit hole of the thoughts that I was having. That's where they were taking me. They were going to take me to a dark place. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so happy that you called. That's one of the antidotes, I think, when, when we feel like we're in a place of, of arguing with reality, sometimes getting that new perspective can expand. Another example that I'll share here is, and I may have even spoken about this because it always comes to mind when I think of trying so hard, but it was right before I found yoga and probably one of the reasons that I knew I had to find a new way to be. It was before I understood that we are not our thoughts. And my daughter went to this very small kindergarten when we were living in San Diego. And the way the drop-off situation was, is there was always a group of moms standing in a circle chatting after we would drop off our kids. And whenever I was in this circle, I felt really nervous. And I, looking back, I could see how it was just this just like I could see my inner teenager wanting to be liked and wanting to say the right thing. All that sisterhood wounding that I've shared about that occurred in junior high and high school was just fully triggered in that situation. And so I would leave those circles of women with a headache and 
stomach ache. And I didn't know to listen to that at that time. All I knew was that my mind was telling me that I wasn't good enough in all these different ways, but I didn't understand the way of my mind yet to know that I could question that and that that really wasn't me. So that was an example of trying really hard. And, you know, when we're trying, it's like we're giving away our energy, right? Just thinking about it makes me weary. Because I found yoga quickly after that, finally I had an experience of the opposite. I referred to this in our podcast feels like the first time because the first moment when I had the experience of relaxation and action or steadiness and ease was a few a few months into my practice. Honestly, it wasn't something that happened immediately. And I was in a upright crescent lunge. So that can be a challenge to find our balance in that one. Just like when we're trying off the mat, it really feels like we're out of balance. We, we don't, we're not with ourselves. We're not in our center. We don't have our ground. And I would feel like that on the mat at the beginning of my, of my yoga path. But during this class, for whatever reason, I suddenly, it was like this shift. And I felt so steady as if I could hold what was a very challenging pose for me at the time, as if I could have held it for like an hour. That's how I felt. I felt so still. But strong at the same time. Strong. It was, it was when I read, it was probably even afterwards that I started to delve into the philosophy, the underpinnings behind yoga. And when I read that, that truly the mark of this quote unquote advanced practice is when we can find steadiness and ease in every pose, I was like, ah, that, that's what it was. It's also equitable to becoming fully present because what are we doing when we're trying? It's like we're, we're, we're people pleasing in that moment. We're, we're trying to shape shift into some version of something that will work for somebody else rather than us. You know, trying to force relationships or friendships, like you just said, trying to alter myself or my personality or my looks or my, you know, what I bring to the table to please other people it's not authentic. It's not me. And it's not effortless. You know, there are relationships or friendships that feel very at ease. And then I've had relationships that are so trying because I've had to try so hard. And so I like how you said, how you brought in the, the people pleasing, because I, I have really lived that um, in past relationships, trying to change myself to please others or to be what I think they want me to be. Did you have awareness of that at the time or also as you continued your practices and, and lived a little bit more, is that, does that become apparent to you more readily? It does. It, it becomes much clearer, much quicker because I can feel it wearing me down. If I'm trying to force a friendship or a relationship that if I'm trying too hard to make this friendship work, um, then I can feel all the effort that I'm putting in around it instead of it being, you know, something that supports and nourishes me and comes with much less effort than something that I'm trying too hard. 
one thing that you said to me today was that that helped me so much to soften the trying that I felt like I was doing was the simple truth of we are all just acting according to our capabilities at the time. That's so freeing Mm -hmm. and provided me so much spaciousness. But what you said made me think that trying, noticing when we're trying, it might be a gift because if we can notice when it feels like force, then it can be a clue. Okay, this is me leaving myself. Mm -hmm. This is me walking outside of what's right for me and who I am in order to make somebody else feel more comfortable. This is me dimming, right? It, it hurts our heart. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I also feel, I'll share this as well, uh, even though it's been a, a decade that I've been teaching, which listen, that's, that's not a long time when it comes to, uh, to teaching yoga, but I, I sometimes will notice myself trying when I'm teaching and that's when I know I'm not present and that's when I know I've shifted into somehow wanting to please the people in the class rather than just sharing from this place of an open heart. Yeah, I think about the very first yoga class I ever taught. It was so terrible. (laughs) It was like such a disaster because I was trying so hard and I wanted them to love me and I wanted, you know, this to be the best yoga class that they ever went to. And it was just a shit show because I never shut up. Like I was trying so hard. I never stopped talking. It was supposed to be a restorative class. So (laughs) can you imagine? (laughs) I probably still would have loved it. I love your words, my friend. I love your words. I had to fill all the spaces with all this brilliant, you know, whatever. And it was terrible. Oh, I have so much compassion for you as you <laughs> share that. And I, and I don't love hearing you call yourself terrible because that, come, that came from a place that came from a place of, of love. Really? I don't know where it came from, but <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, I can laugh about it now. And you know, I don't know what their experience was, but I know I was trying, trying way too hard. And I wasn't just allowing things to be, you know, as they were supposed to be. And I was forcing everything. And I was trying to make myself into something that I wasn't. And, and it was a disaster. (laughs) Well, I doubt that, but you're speaking of how noticing when we're trying, I think also gives us another clue to our own specific brand of not good enough because mine is not knowing enough. And Mm -hmm. so when I notice myself trying really hard is when um, what I would consider a more experienced teacher comes to my class. Mm -hmm. I can notice myself trying and we'll get into antidotes a little bit later and what I would do in that situation. But speaking about the story you shared around being a newer teacher, now it's really cool because um, the home studio that I teach public classes at here in Vancouver, Semper Viva, they're a yoga college really. And I've been asked to teach 
some of the new students that are just graduating from the Semper Viva YTT, so the the new teachers. Mm. And what those teachers are mostly asking for is, you know, how can I get over my nerves and how can I just offer the class that everybody is going to like and how can I stop worrying about what they think? And of course, so much of that just comes from doing it. That's, that's how the comfort and ease has come for me is just doing it and just practicing it. But I was given great advice a couple of times. And one was, and, I, and this isn't just for teaching yoga, this is for anything that we endeavor to do in our lives, is all we can do is share from our heart the best we can in that moment. And number two, let go of doing it for anybody else and just and, and do it to honor yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where the, you know, where the ease comes in, right? When we're just honoring ourselves and we are our most authentic self, then it, it does, when it's coming from the heart, it, it's easy. So what are some examples of places in your life where you feel that wholehearted effort rather than trying and forcing? When I rock my granddaughter to sleep, even if she's very fussy and has been crying and you know seems to be inconsolable, I can just drop into this place with her, even if she's screaming at me, <laughs> you know, that coming from this loving place where I just want comfort and warmth and safety for her. It's just one of the purest places for me to physically be with her, rocking her and loving her and soothing her. And where I can remember either with my own daughters or maybe with my grandsons where I've tried really hard (laughs) you know, to, to give them what they wanted. And it just feels as I get older, easier to be more authentic and not so stressed about this crying baby, (laughs) if that makes sense. It does. And what I know about you is not only as you've gotten older, but as you've committed to your practices and your studies, is your boundaries have gotten very strong. And when I say that word, because I didn't understand them for a long time, you are staying very true to yourself and you care. I mean, we all care to some degree. It's wired, but, but you care very little about what other people are thinking of you. You are doing what's right for you. You are protecting you. And I bet that makes a difference, even in that situation, as you're soothing a baby. Yeah, I I do feel like my boundaries have come so far. And that's one area where I feel that ease much more in my life than, than the effort of trying to worry about what other people think. That is a big lesson that has come to me, you know, at this stage in my life, that what they think about me is none of my business. I can't control what they think about me. You know, I can't possibly change what they think about me. So I can't put the effort into it. I can just be me and they can take it or leave it. It can sound snide or um, short, but I have wasted so many years worrying about what other people think. And 
there is no payoff in that. You're talking about self-preservation, Amy. I'll admit that the times as a mother when I'm trying, when it's feeling forced, is when I'm noticing wanting to be liked even by my daughter is coming up. That that sense of wanting to be heard, of wanting to be understood, wanting to be liked. And just as you've described, that drains us. It's like we're absolutely putting our energy into those people. We're giving it away to them. It's draining us completely of our energy and we must be able to draw our energy back home to the present moment. Because if we're trying like that, that's the opposite of being present. We're, we're just worried completely about either making somebody else feel comfortable, uh, making them see us a certain way, or wanting them to think of us in a certain way. And you reminded me of something I heard that I think of often. You know, we could walk into a gathering with 15 people and, you know, wearing what we're wearing and saying what we're saying, but each individual person is going to be receiving us in a completely different way based on their own lens, based on themselves. And there's nothing that we can do to control the judgments or the opinions of those 15 people, which will all be very individual. And trying will deplete us. So we might as well figure out how to be exactly who we are because there's, there's no other choice. No, I like that that analogy that we use sometimes when we teach about leaving your mat and getting on someone else's mat. You know, if we're worried about what other people are thinking about us, then we've left ourselves mm-hmm. and there's nobody there checked out. We've gone to worrying about them or what they're thinking and we've left ourselves. And, you know, I like that analogy that we use where you see this empty yoga mat because now you're on somebody else's yoga mat with them. Mm -hmm. Nobody's on your yoga mat. Yeah. It's a great visual of how we walk away from ourselves. And for a long time, when I learned about that, how I was leaving myself, that would make me feel guilty and ashamed, but we don't want to add that onto it because we'll do it. But the opposite, when you speak about the experience you have with your granddaughter, when we're in a state of wholehearted effort, that is energizing. And Mm -hmm. I can imagine that you feel a rush of the certain kind of energy that is available to us when we are fully present, which is why the present moment is referred to as this wellspring of renewing energy, this wellspring of vitality and inspiration and creativity and and possibility. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like the energy is endless when you're in the flow of effortless. And where I tend to feel that wholehearted effort is when I'm writing. I have the Warrior to Warrior blog on my website and I get inspired to write about especially um, the ways in which I've moved through anxiety and and panic disorder because I think about myself when I was in the throes of it and I was too anxious to go to workshops or to go and talk to a professional or even try to figure out who to see because I was in so much shame for how fearful I was all the time. So 
I wish I would have had resources like that. And now there are tons, believe me, there are amazing resources that I use as well. But I just intend for this blog to be a resource for that. And when I start to write it, I start to feel that way. Time, time doesn't really matter anymore. I feel alive in my body. Um, so that's, that's a place that brings me that sort of feeling of authentic effort, which wholehearted effort also isn't always feeling easy. You know, there's times when we need to put in a lot of effort, right? If we're studying for a test or we need a new job, we need to create more prosperity. It will feel hard and it can bring up feelings that could shift us into fearful trying based in scarcity. And one of the antidotes to that, I think, is to remember our why, right? Mm -hmm. So does that feel helpful for you? Like when I, that's what I do when I'm, I'm feeling like I'm shifting into trying when I'm teaching. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm not really in my body. I'm judging what I'm saying. Um, and because it, it can happen, it's just so subtle. And, I, and now I'm very aware of that subtle shift when I've moved over into trying. Um, well, first of all, I'll always ground, like to become as present as possible, feel my feet on the ground. But it is very helpful for me, or if I get those nerves before I'm going to go into teach, just quickly remember, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And my answer is because I, I'm not exaggerating when I feel feel that my practice saved me and the power of being present, the power of being able to again and again draw our energy back to ourselves and get clear about what we're thinking and what we're feeling so that we're able to respond to life from a place of choice rather than reactivity. That was so incredibly powerful for me. I just felt so compelled to, sh- to share. I felt so compelled And then when I remember my why, when it comes to teaching or when it comes to parenting, that brings me back into the heart. Yeah, it sparks inspiration and creativity and motivation. You know, all the reasons why we're doing something, you know, returning to our why brings us back to our our North Star. And because I knew when I was thinking about, we're going to talk about trying, I knew that we probably would both talk about trying at relationships because I think that's where we both, most people have that experience. So I was just considering this today and I was wondering about it for you. When it comes to friendships, what would be your why? Well, I, I want to have friendships that are nourishing and supportive and loving and, you know, mutually respectful and fulfilling as opposed to depleting. We can all relate to being in relationships or friendships that have felt depleting and those feel like you're trying so hard to hang on to a friendship or to create something that's just not there. So when I seek friendships, you know, I, I really want something that feels effortless. I was thinking about that too, especially because of our conversation this morning. And my why around friendships is that I want to open my heart to true sisterhood, to to just true support. Mm -hmm. But I think to take the pressure off 
of trying to find that, I think the secret is to become that in my own friendships. You know, as much as I can feel in my body that I'm doing my own work to understand that in a friendship, in a, you know, in a love relationship, in any relationship, in my relationship with my daughter, when I'm starting to feel an irritation or, or anger or, or any pang of a negative emotion, remembering that that's in me. It's very rare that a person that I've been in a relationship with is actively seeking to, to hurt me. It's, it's usually that person speaking from their specific lens and from their capability, the best they can do in that moment. Because sometimes our best, sometimes my best is not so great. <laughs> and, and then that will affect me. But I think if I want to embody what I'd like to create, part of that will be doing my own work, knowing that, okay, well, this hurt is already in me and that's what's triggering me right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that, that why behind the kind of friendships that I want to create, I think, I think that feels good. That feels more open-hearted than saying, oh, you know, why, why do I not have more of these friendships in my life? And, and actually it is already working because it is at this time in my life where I feel like, you know, women like you and, and, and several other women in my life, it, it is a mutually supportive relationship that adds so much. And I'm so glad that I've got out of my own way of kind of trying to do it all on my own and not wanting to bother anybody with my stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, that I would have reached out to you this morning because that that just made all the difference. Yeah, we you know if we isolate or we don't want to bother people or we don't want to share for fear of rejection or judgment, you know it can be very isolating. And then we sit with our stories and kind of let our stories run rampant, as opposed to getting some perspective. From somebody else. So I'm curious from a dosha perspective, and every time I'm going to mention that word, I'll just refer our listeners back to episode one where Amy, my Ayurvedic guru, gives a wonderful (laughs) rundown of the doshas, which are these um, constitutions within each of us, and we're each of us predominant in in one of them. Um, But is is that relevant here? Is there if we were out of balance in a specific dosha or element, would, be, would we be more prone to trying and forcing? Um, I think it depends on what we're trying to do. You know, from, a, from an Ayurvedic perspective, pittas are very driven and um, accomplish, you know, accomplish focused so if they want to do something, they're going to try very hard and maybe not allow themselves moments of effortlessness. So from a, from a doshic perspective, that comes to mind. They, if they are out of balance, they can tend to start to force things. From a friendship stand, kappa comes to mind because they are the lovers and the friends and the loyal people in your life, but when they are out of balance, they can be very smothering, Mm. um, very overly attached 
So that comes to mind from an Ayurvedic perspective. And then, you know, vatas, when they are out of balance, can have a lot of fear. So that can be a, a response to, you know, they could begin to try to create situations in defense of fear. So any of the doshas could be involved, really, depending on what the situation is. I felt akin to the last one that you were speaking about because I am predominantly Pitta, but Vata is also just as high. Like it's pretty much even quite a bit of Kappa there now as well. But back in the anxious days, you know, huge Vata imbalance, obviously, this is the dosha that does bring about a sense of being scattered, ungrounded, and and fearful thoughts abound. And I'm shared that that was my entire experience was just warning thoughts of imminent danger from within my body and out in the world. There was a lack of feeling safe. And that's probably, well, I know that's one of the reasons that yoga was so healing for me because it did help me to anchor physically feet to ground. And when we do that, that helps us to ground the mind as well. I didn't know that then again, all just because of experience the reason that yoga is so important to me. So maybe a little antidote for each of those situations that you just mentioned. Here we first are talking about vata being being imbalanced when we are victims of the stories our minds are telling us and we feel like we could never shut those thoughts up. What would you say to to somebody who you could tell their vata was really up and they probably were walking away from themselves because of that. Yeah. First, vatas need so much grounding. So any grounding practice, like you said, feeling your feet on the ground. And, you know, the antidote for vata when vata is in fear is faith. For pittas who are trying and trying and trying and just driving through everything. And, you know, they're like almost like a bull. Their antidote is rest. And that can be very hard for pittas. They don't stop. Um, They want to control the situation or the narrative or the conversation or the friendship or the relationship and asking them to just rest. And whatever that is, is hard when a pitta is out of balance. And then for kappas, when kappas are trying to hang on to everything, you know, hang on to people or relationships or love or things, you know, asking a kappa to let go of whatever it is. Just let go. Let go of trying to hang on with such a tight grip to the, to the people, to the places, to the things can be very hard for kappas. But it is the antidote to a kappa being out of balance. All I'm hearing here is the importance of somehow opening ourselves up to new perspectives. It's hard to see when you're in it. It's really hard to see, like you said, with that lens that that can become more narrow as we get into it. You know, we have a much harder time seeing outside of ourselves or outside of the stories we've told ourselves around the situation or the people or the conversation. This makes me think of uh, Joe Dispenza. I've read a couple of his books, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself and Becoming Supernatural. And something he says that I try to remember, I try 
to remember is, <laughs> is he says, think greater than you feel. Mm. Because just as we have shared many times in this podcast that we can't believe everything that we're thinking, we also can't believe our emotions. Yes, our emotions are guides, but our emotions are based in memory and our emotions can also be habits. So it, it is important to shift into the witness mm-hmm. where instead of, I'm so, you know, I'm so sad or I'm angry and, and defining ourselves based on the emotions that we're feeling to be able to practice watching them and noticing them and inquiring into them. The reason that I love to listen to podcasts, the reason that I love to read and to learn and to take trainings, and I know you agree, is it's just so wonderful to know something that you previously didn't know. Many pieces of new information change us forever. It invites us to think in a new way. And then we end up bringing those into our lives and into our conversations. And it helps us to constantly evolve with consciousness. Yeah, it gives us tools, I know for myself, that make life less painful, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, walking through the world is, is a little more comfortable having the tools that we've learned over the years. The central aim of yoga, to ease the suffering in our mind. That's what brings us the suffering. And that's what trying is. Trying is simply unquestioned thoughts telling us that we're not doing it right, that we're not doing it good enough, that we're not getting the results for what we're doing. So we have to try harder and work harder and push ourselves more. Trying is a result of unquestioned thinking that is harming us. Witness, witness, witness again and again come back to learning how to be present with our thoughts, be present with our body. It's like always the answer. What a simple but profound concept that we are not our thoughts. Totally changed my life. When somebody said that, I just, (laughs) I wish I could have been a fly on the wall seeing me hear that information. Right. (laughs) what? What are you talking about? Yeah. After these years of my husband consistently saying things to me like, you've got to let it go. And I would in all sincerity, look at him and say, how, how, how do I let go of this worry, uh, this fear, this worry of what this person thinks of me? Yeah. And probably how frustrating for him too, that he is seeing this from an outside perspective. And seeing all the pain it's causing you and not being able to have you see it. His belief probably that I would see it and his innate ability not to worry what other people think have been really helpful in my evolution as well. I've really grown up in this marriage, you know, having been with this man for 21 years. So he, he was a big part of recovery from anxiety disorder as well because he believed that I was okay. And the more that he believed it, I, I also started to begin to believe that maybe everything was going to be okay. And isn't it interesting when you encounter somebody like that who doesn't, is so firmly grounded within themselves that they, they don't care what 
other people think in the healthiest of ways that when you when you're not coming from that place i remember just being in awe of people like that that somehow they could still function in the world that they could still exist not caring what anybody else thought somehow their lives still went on and i just found that so fascinating that i was spending all this time and energy worrying about what other people think and how could i possibly exist if i wasn't trying to change or do or be what i felt like other people thought I needed to be and to see people who were able to still exist and function and not care was like so fascinating. (laughs) I agree. It opens up a possibility for all of us. And as, as we're talking, I don't know if I've ever really described it this way, but I know in my heart that the first panic attack was triggered and, and all that anxiety and the buildup of anxiety in my body was absolutely triggered by this concept of trying too hard for too long. Yeah. And then it probably perpetuated itself trying not to have another panic attack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another beer will do it. <laughs> yes. If I just have another beer, I will not have another panic attack. And then you're just igniting your anxiety. Uh, That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. We'll get into that. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think we need to, I think, yeah, that's foreshadowing. There's a good conversation about all that coming. A reminder to our listeners, go on to Facebook and join the Radiant Warrior community. Let's keep the conversation going. And um, we can't wait to hear your stories. If you feel so called to share about the difference between trying and open-hearted effort. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we would be so grateful if you would drop us a review. It really helps us to get noticed and, and found by other people that may enjoy these conversations. Yes, please do. Oh, and my dog is is also barking at this moment saying goodbye to you. Bowie is saying goodbye to you, Amy. Bye, Bowie. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.